This is week number nine in our study, and we're over in the book of Joshua. And for the last couple of weeks, we've just been walking verse, uh, chapter by chapter, really, through this book, and that's what we'll do again this morning. And you'll remember that as we've come through um, the first 11 chapters, really, into chapter 12, that Israel has been all about taking cities, burning cities, killing kings, killing all the people, leaving no survivors um, as they go through the land. And they've taken, as we saw at the end of last week, 31 kings. So they've taken those kings and not just one city, but all the cities of that kingdom. And so they've taken a lot of land. Uh, There's no doubt about that, but they have not taken all of the land that was promised uh, to Abraham by God. They haven't taken, they haven't gone to the, uh, all the way to the Mediterranean yet. They haven't pushed all the way north to where the Euphrates curves across the top of the land. They haven't gone uh, eastward over to um, the Euphrates River, which was all included in the land. So, but they've taken a significant amount of it, especially the central portion of what God uh, promised to them. And so, as we come through this, we, we got down to chapter 11 to a very significant verse, which is verse 23. And that verse reads that, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their division by the tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. And so, taken out of context, that verse sounds like that all the land that had been promised, they had taken. They have, and then the land was at rest. And, you know, we we looked over in chapter 13, which describes all the land they had not taken. And so, this verse doesn't mean that they had taken all the land that was promised by God to the patriarchs, but rather that they had taken all the land they had attacked up until this point, that there was no land that they had not taken over that they went after, that God had been faithful to drive the people out, and that all the lands that they had attacked, they had successfully won. And I believe that's what the, the true meaning um, of this verse in chapter 11 is because, again, as you get over to chapter 13, and we went there last week, at the end of chapter 12, the very last verse, it describes that there were 31 kings, and they're all enumerated there in chapter 12, that Joshua and the people of Israel had taken. So 31 kings, but then the very beginning of chapter 13 It says, now Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years and very much of the land remains to be possessed. So it's clear that chapter 11 doesn't mean they had taken all the land, but they had taken all the land they had attacked. And so here in chapter 13, there's a lot of land that has not um, been taken 
So this, this verse gives context to what was written in chapter 11 and verse 23. Uh, it explains that not all the land had been taken. And then he goes through and actually the scripture here enumerates and describes all the land that had not been taken. Because he, he says in verse 2, this is the land that remains all the regions of the Philistines and those of the Canaanites. And he goes on and on and on. And the Philistines would have been all that area that was along the Mediterranean. That belonged to the Philistines. And so this verse, I think, gives us clear understanding of what was written back in chapter 11 and verse 23. But there are many people who would lift those verses out of the context of Joshua and say, see, it says right there they took all the land. And it does say that, but if you keep reading you get more understanding. Um, and so I believe that's the real meaning of what was written there. Now he says that Joshua was old and advanced in years. So the question is, well, how old was Joshua? Because we know over in the very end of the book that Joshua is 110 years old when he dies. So the question is, how old is he in this passage? so that you can get an idea of, remember that verse that said that it took them a long time to take these 23, uh, 31 kings? Well, how long is a long time? So I think there's a, a good time reference that's given in the next chapter, and we'll kind of go back and forth here. Over in chapter 14, and verses 9 and 10, now, Moses had problem. You remember there, there are three guys who didn't die in the wilderness, and only three who were over 20 when they began to wander, and that's Caleb, Joshua, and Moses. All the other people died while they were in the 38 years of wandering. And so Caleb, having been a faithful man, Joshua was the leader, Caleb being a faithful man was given a parcel of land. And so here he is in chapter 14 saying, please give me the land that was promised to me by Moses. And as he's asking for it in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 14, he says, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke, these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old. Okay, so 45 years, and he's now 85. And he says that when Moses promised this to him, was after the spies had gone into the promised land, came back. Ten of them said, we can't take it. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can take it. And the people decided to side with the ten, and they didn't go into the land. Well, from that point, they then began to wander in the wilderness. And so it's about two years into having left Egypt when they begin to wander. So 38 years, 38 to 39 years, they're wandering in the wilderness, 
And then they go across the Jordan and they begin all these wars. And now here Caleb, after the wars, after the 31 kings have been defeated, says it's been 45 years since Moses promised this to me. So 38 or so plus 7 in the promised land would be 45 years. So when the scripture says it took them a long time to defeat these 31 kings, it's about seven years in the promised land that it took them to get to the point where they had taken the central portion and the land was at rest. The only reason the land was at rest, all the people around them feared them and they weren't attacking anybody. So the land was at rest. Now, you remember the statement that God made um, way back in Exodus before he ever um, gave them all the law and all of that, that they would take the land little by little. And then again, just before they go into the promised land at the end of Deuteronomy, he says the exact same thing. Forty years later, he says, you will take the land little by little. And there's a reason for that, and we'll come to that here in a minute. Um, So how old is Joshua? Well, Caleb was apparently 40 when he became a spy, and now it's been 45 years, and so he's 85. We don't know exactly how old Joshua was, but you would think he's at least as old as Caleb. And so Joshua here is at least 85 Some people speculate maybe he was 95, a little older than Caleb, but it's somewhere around 85 plus. So this is some 15 to 25 years before Joshua dies. And they're in the promised land, and they've taken a lot of land, and now the events of chapter 13 are going to take place. And... So we've been seven years in the promised land. Joshua doesn't die for another 15 to 25 years. So you kind of wonder, well, why didn't they keep taking land? Well, first of all, you see here in chapter 13 that it says Joshua was old and advanced in years. So he may be not able to do quite what he could do before. Um, and, And Joshua actually in this chapter, we'll ask them a question. Yeah, back in 1118, I just want you to see it. This is where it says that Joshua waged war for a long time with all these kings. Well, long time. I mean, we've been in Afghanistan for 20 years, right? Well, this was a seven-year battle that they were fighting all these people. So it's not like it's a huge expanse of time. It's a fairly short, uh, seven years. So you look on down in this chapter. Look in, uh, I'm in chapter 13. And you look in verses 2 through 6, and he describes, as we said, all the lands that you haven't taken. And it includes huge swaths of land. I mean, all the Philistines, the Canaanites that would have been on both the east and the west side of the land they had taken. You've got all the land um, of the Girgashites. And I mean, he just continues to describe these large swaths of land that they had not taken. So while they've taken a lot of land, there's also a lot, lot more that needs to be taken. 
Um, even all the cedars of Lebanon, which belong to them, they've not even gone into that region yet. So, um, and, and so I think the scripture makes it clear that um, there's a lot more land to be taken and that apparently they're not going to do that at this point because the land is at rest. Notice at the end of verse 6, this is the promise that God gave them after they had taken a lot of the land. He says, to go ahead and I will drive out from before the, the sons of Israel, talking about all these people groups in those six, six verses, that God will still be faithful and drive them out, but go ahead and only allot it to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. So what he's going to do, even though they haven't taken all the land, they're going to go ahead and divide the land among all the tribes, knowing that they still have land to take. But he's going to say, when you take all the land, this is going to be yours, and this is going to be yours, and this is going to be yours. So they're going to go ahead and divide up the land, even though they haven't taken it all, because that's what Joshua's commission was was to give it to the people as an inheritance. Doesn't mean they've possessed it, but go ahead and divide it up and give it to them. So they send spies into the land to really figure out all the borders. And they come back and they will, Joshua will be faithful to give them parcels of land that are very, very specifically detailed. So they're going to know what's going to be there but always keep in mind as we go through this that God's going to give it to them little by little. Meaning they're not going to just go in and drive out everybody. But little by little, they're going to expand until all the land is theirs. And God has a reason for doing that. And I mean, a good question here is why does God not just go ahead and drive out all the people and let them take all the land that belongs to them? I mean, that's a reasonable question, right? Why didn't God do that? He's got Joshua as a command. He's got this huge army. All the peoples around them fear them. They could go in and drive them all out, and that's what they should go ahead and do. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is little by little, and I think he has a very good reason for doing that. But we, you don't get that reason, why does God do it this way, until you get all the way over to Judges. In Judges chapter 3. And so I want to turn there and go ahead and give you the reason why God doesn't go ahead and drive all the peoples out of the land. Because He clearly could have, right? He could do whatever He wants to, and they've taken lots of land. They could continue if God wanted to. But in chapter 3, He gives us a very good reason why He doesn't do that. So Judges chapter 3, the first eight verses. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan. All right, stop there for a second. Who would that be? Who would not experience the wars of Canaan? Anybody under 20 years old, right? Because those who were sent into battle were all those who were 20 and older. 
Well, all those who were 20 and older were those people who saw their parents die in the wilderness. So this is, you have the generation that comes out of Egypt, and then the next generation is this generation who's taking these 31 kings, and then the next generation is what God is talking about here. That he want all those who had not seen the wars of Canaan, they were at home. They weren't old enough to go into battle. Only in order that the generation of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it formerly. These nations are the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and all the Sidonians and the Hivites who live in Mount Lebanon and Mount Baharon, as far as Label Hamath. These are for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. The sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. So why does God not take all the land immediately under the command of Joshua? What's he say? He wants to test the next generation if they would be faithful or not. Meaning, continue to take the land and I'll continue to drive them out little by little. But you see here clearly, they lived with those people. They intermixed with them. They intermarried with them. They were not faithful. So God's reason for not driving out and taking all the land that He had promised to the patriarchs is that He might test this generation of people, and they fail miserably. I mean, they take zero additional land. And matter of fact, they give back land, and they become enslaved themselves. So this is God's reason, while way back at the beginning, before they ever wandered in the wilderness, He told them, you're going to take the land little by little because he wanted to test this generation. So you can see the plan of God in maybe a greater expanse. Joshua was faithful, and the people of that generation were faithful. And they took a lot of land, but they didn't take it all, because God wanted to test the next generation. So keep that in mind as as we continue to go through this, and they divide up the land, and certain statements are made. And Joshua will make some on his deathbed that gives great clarity to what's actually going on. So I want to continue to walk through these chapters and see what the Scripture actually says in whole, not in part. Because those who I've heard argue about that all the land was taken under Joshua pull verses like what we saw in chapter 11 out of context. And that's not what it says. It gives greater definition than that. So um, as we continue to go on through here, you remember that the descendants of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh were given land on the eastern side of the Jordan but they were required in order to get that land to go in and fight 
with their brothers of the other tribes of Israel. And they have done that and they have been faithful. And so in they return back at this point to their homeland. They're getting ready to go back. And you'll notice in verse 7 of chapter 13, when he's talking about apportioning the land, now therefore apportion this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now you get confused at this point, right? Because Manasseh has land on the eastern side. So I'll give you an explanation for that in just a minute. So you've got two and a half tribes who got their land on the eastern side of the Jordan. Nine and a half tribes who, well this says seven, what does it say? Nine and a half. So nine and a half plus two and a half is twelve. That's the twelve tribes. Right? But we know in actuality there are really 13 peoples because Joseph's tribe was split into two, Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay, so you've got to figure out what was he really talking about here. Um, and so we'll look at this a little bit from a high view. So in 13 he says, you descendants of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh can go home now. You've been faithful to do what we asked you to do. And then we're going to apportion the land to the nine and a half tribes. And then in chapter 14, which we've already looked about a little bit, is where Caleb says, hey, I do some land. And so they go ahead and give Caleb his land. And then in chapter 15 is Judah's allotment. Judah being one of the 12 tribes. um, The tribe that ultimately Jesus Christ comes from. The tribe of Judah is given their land. And I want to show you some very specific things here. In chapter 15, as Judah is apportioned their land, right? We're giving them the boundaries of their land. Look at verse 63. So here's all the boundaries of the land of Judah. And then 63 says, Now as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the sons of Judah could not drive them out, So the Jebusites live with the sons of Judah at Jerusalem until this day, the day that this book was written. Okay, and most people believe that Joshua is the one who wrote this book at the end of his life. He reviews everything that's happened. And so when he wrote it, the Jebusites still possessed Jerusalem. And they do until... King David finally takes Jerusalem 400 years later. So we think Jerusalem's the center of Israel and you know wherever no. They didn't take Jerusalem until David was the king. And then they made it the central part. So it's it's 400 years later before they drive the Jebusites out. So you see clearly they did not take all the land that was given to them. Then you keep going, and in chapter 16 is the allotment to the half-tribe of Ephraim. Okay, so this is part half of the tribe of um, Joseph is here given their land. But look again at verse 10 of chapter 16. 
but they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites live in the midst of Ephraim to this day. And they became forced laborers. So they have them as slaves, but they didn't do what God commanded them to do. They didn't drive them out of the land, which we've seen means annihilate them. Kill them until there are no survivors left. They didn't do that to the Canaanites in the land given to Ephraim. So you've got Judah, who doesn't drive out all the people. You've got Ephraim now, who doesn't drive out all the people. And then in chapter 17, you have an allotment, and this gets confusing, given to Manasseh. Okay, Manasseh is, one of, is the half-tribe who's on the eastern side. So why do they get land here on the western side of the Jordan? Well, Manasseh had a descendant who had no sons. He just had daughters. So at this time, the descendants of those daughters come and say, hey, we, we have no land because our great-great-grandfather had no sons and so there was no pa- anything passed down. And so they say, yeah, that's right. And so we're going to take and give you land to this particular part of the tribe of Manasseh and we're going to take a little bit from Ephraim and give it to you. And so that's what they do. And that's why you have both Ephraim and Manasseh given land on the western side of the Jordan, even though Manasseh is also on the eastern side of the Jordan. So they've got land on both sides. Okay? But they took part of that from Ephraim and gave it to them. So that's why it details here in chapter 17 the land that was given to Manasseh. Okay, so you get down to chapters 18 and 19, and very quickly, they allot lands to the other seven tribes. Okay, you have two, two and a half tribes, plus the tribe of Joseph is three, and then you've got um, Judah, who's been given theirs, is four, and then seven more portions, so you get up to 11 tribes because the tribe of Levi was given no land. Okay, The Lord is their inheritance. They're the priests, and they're not given any land. So that's how you get that seven more pieces need to be allotted. And they do it by casting lots because you know that's the way that they believe that God would direct who got which lot. And so that's the way they divide up the other seven portions of land. Um, And then they take the tent of meeting and they put it in Shiloh, which is not too far from Jerusalem. It's to the north of Jerusalem. But that's where they set up the tabernacle. Because during all these wars... They didn't establish, you know, they had the tabernacle because they had um, built it before they crossed the Jordan, but they had not set it up anywhere. So they go to Shiloh and they set up the tabernacle and that becomes the central place of worship for the nation of Israel. You see that in verse 1 of chapter 18. Now the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting, which is the tabernacle there. 
and the, and the land was subdued before them. So that's part of the land that they've taken. Even though the Jebusites are not far away in Jerusalem, this land was theirs. And then you look down in verse uh, chapter 19 and verses 49 and 50, and this is where Joshua is given his own land. Certainly the leader deserved his own land. When they finished apportioning, verse 49 of chapter 19, when they finished apportioning the land for inheritance by its borders, the sons of Israel gave an inheritance in their midst to Joshua, the son of, of Nun. So Joshua is given some of the land that had been allotted to Ephraim. Again, just a small portion. So he has his own land. And, and basically they're now done. They've done what Joshua's commissioning was. He was to, even though they didn't possess it, notice it says allot, not possess, they allotted all this land by its borders to the different tribes. We have no more wars that take place in the book of Joshua. They don't go and fight with anybody else. And so even though they've been given their land, they don't go and take it. So, um, you know, you, I mean, they're done. They're at rest. Joshua's old. And then they, uh, they take, in chapter 20, they take six cities and they give it to the, uh, as cities of refuge. And this is what you hear talked about today in the United States. If you had accidentally killed somebody, you would go to one of the cities of refuge and they could not prosecute you there. You were free. And you lived in that city and as long as you stayed in that city, you were fine. You, you could not be prosecuted. Now, if you had committed murder, that's a different thing. But if you had accidentally killed someone, you could go to one of the cities of refuge and they would not prosecute you there. So just a thought as you hear these sanctuary cities talked about. Today, it's a little different, but uh, that's what they're talking about. Israel doesn't have sanctuary cities today. Does anybody have sanctuary cities? You'd, um, that's up for debate, right? I mean, are there people who are hiding uh, outlaws in Afghanistan, for instance? Um, probably. So would you call that a sanctuary city? Um, I don't know. But uh, there clearly are regimes that are willing to hide people that the rest of the world would want to capture and prosecute. So is that a sanctuary city? Maybe. But no, nobody's done what is commanded here in the land of Israel. And this was by the law. The law said that you had to set up these cities. So if you're going to follow, follow the Mosaic law, which they're bound to, then you have to set up cities of refuge. And then you have to also do the next thing, which is in chapter 20, where they give six cities. That's not right. They give 48 cities to the tribe of Levi. So 48 cities scattered throughout all the land so that they can be priests for the people. And then with those cities, the pasture lands, because if you're a Levite, you've got to have a lot of animals because you've got to do a lot of sacrifices. 
And so they gave, they got the cities and the pasture land around the cities, 48 of them. I mean, that's quite a number um, scattered all throughout the tribes so that they could be priests to the people. So you, you see them establishing and, and certainly setting up a functional nation as God had commanded, but not having taken all the land. Okay, in uh, the end of chapter 19 and verse 51, um, it says that Eleazar, who's the high priest, 51, these are the inheritance which Eleazar, the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the house, and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel, distributed by Lot and Shiloh before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. So every tribe knows what is theirs. They know the boundaries. It's been allotted to them. Everybody's good with it. Everybody agrees with it. There's no you know, infighting or anything like that. Look in chapter 18. This is as they're getting ready to divide the land. And notice the question that Joshua asked all the people in 18 verse 3. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? So what does that indicate? They hadn't taken all the land, right? Here's Joshua, the leader, who's taken 31 kings and he looks at all the sons of Israel and says, I'm old. Why aren't you guys taking more land? And they don't really give an answer. And so then they allot all the land because that's what God told him to do. And so all the land is allotted. You got the three cities of refuge, the six cities of refuge. You got 48 cities given to the Levites. And so the nation is established and functional at this point. In chapter 22 is where the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh go back across the Jordan. And if you read this chapter, it's kind of crazy. They go, and before they cross the Jordan, they set up a monument to God's honor, to God's glory, for what he had done. And it would be a reminder to their sons when they came across, if they came across the Jordan, that their dads had built this monument to God. Well, all the people in the land, the nine and a half tribes, got really upset about that and said, what are you doing? We've already got monuments to worship God. You have defamed God. And they gathered to go to battle with the two and a half tribes. And you're like, really? I mean, you just all got the land. Everything's good. And now you're going to go to war against each other? And so when they get there, they explain why they built it. And they go, oh, okay, we thought you were trying to usurp what's in Shiloh, and actually you weren't. And so we're all good, and they all leave. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, immediately they're ready to go and kill their brothers uh, who just fought for seven years helping them take their own land. So, uh, yeah, different, different time and age. All right, in chapter 23... Um, 
Joshua is, this is where he basically says, I'm about to die, goodbye. And so I want to wait and cover chapters 23 and 24 next time. Because what Joshua says on his deathbed is extremely important. Because this isn't when he's 85 or 95. This is when he's 110. So this is just before Joshua dies. And so 25 years later, after the land had been apportioned, 15 to 25, somewhere in there, Joshua, we now have his farewell statements. And I'll tell you, he remembers what God told him back in Deuteronomy when Moses and Joshua went before God. Do you remember that? That We looked at that passage that God said they wouldn't be faithful. He remembers that. And he speaks those words to him, them here at the end of his life. Some, I don't know how, I haven't calculated it, but probably at least 70 years later, Joshua remembers what God told him in the tent of meeting. God knew all along. Absolutely. That's why he told him at the very beginning, you're going to take the land little by little because he wants to test this, what I would call the third generation. First generation died in the wilderness. Second generation crossed the Jordan and took a lot of land. Third generation he wants to test. And we'll look at that a little bit. Go ahead, Jackie. How does, um, in chapter 21? Yes. In 43 through 45, how does that balance in with the land that they take and don't take? Okay, 43 through 45, let's, let's read it. Um, it comes right after the 48 cities are given to the Levites in chapter 21, 43 through 45. So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and no one of their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave their enemies into their hand, Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Very significant passage, right? Here's the way that I understand this. That all the land had been given to them. That's what we just went through. Four chapters, five chapters of all the land was given to them. So they've been given all the land. When it says they possess it, they possess part of it. Not all of it. And we'll see that. That's why chapter 23 is so important. Because what does Joshua tell them on his deathbed? And we'll look back at this passage when we get there. So all the promises that God had given to the patriarchs have been fulfilled. They're in the land. They do have rest. Because they're not trying to take any more land. All the land has been allotted to them. And up to this point, You could say God has been faithful. Now Joshua asked them the question, why aren't you taking more land? God has promised to drive the people out before you. But they don't try and take more land. So God, if you you look at this point in time, when Joshua wrote this, you could absolutely say that God had given them all the land and God had been faithful to drive the people out. Now, If you go forward from here, maybe not. Because the people have to keep the covenant of God. 
So, but at this point, when Joshua wrote this, or whoever wrote it, all things have been fulfilled up to this point. Now, Joshua will make it clear, I'll just give you a preview in 23, that they have not taken all the land. Because he'll describe the land that they have not taken in chapter 23. So, while this, so you have to take it in context, right? It says that God had been faithful, God had given them, fulfilled all the promises. They do own the land, but that doesn't mean they possess it. That doesn't mean they live on it. They own it, but they don't live on it. Now, I can hear the argument the other way. You know, it clearly says that God fulfilled all the promises. I think he did to this point. I would not disagree with that. I would not fight against that. But did he, does he continue to fulfill all the promises so they take all the land? The answer to that would be no. But to this point, when this was written, yes. And, and the expectation is that he will continue to be faithful. And if they would have been faithful, he would have. Go ahead, Ed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and what Ed was saying, just so you who are on the tape can hear it, is that um, possession and occupation are two different things. You can own something. Think about it today. If you, if you own a house and you rent it to somebody and they live in it, but they don't pay you rent, then you have to go to the courts. It takes a long time and evict them from the property so that you can repossess it. You can take possession of it again. That's what you're saying. Is there were people still living in these lands, and even though Israel owned them, they did not possess it. They didn't live in it. And there's a difference between those terms. That's why he doesn't say, go possess the lands. He says, I allot the lands to you. Those are different things. And so... We'll come back and talk about this some more, okay? If you farm somebody's land for so many years, and they don't like doing anything about it, you can go to court. Yeah. Or you can cut the lawn on somebody's property. So don't come to my house and cut my lawn. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for your time this morning.